Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books and Political Science podcast. My name is Heath Brown, and today I have the real pleasure to talk with Hans Hassel, who is the author of The Party's Primary, Control of Congressional Nominations. The book is published by Cambridge University Press in 2018, and Hans is with me today. Hans, how are you doing? I'm doing great. It's great to be here. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you for sharing the book and, and uh, your time today. Uh, a timely book, uh, given where we are in 2018. Uh, before we get to it, maybe you can just tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. I'm, I'm currently an assistant professor at uh, Cornell College, which is a small liberal arts college um, outside of Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Um, uh, I will be uh, an assistant professor at Florida State uh, this coming fall. Um, I grew up in Maine, and, and prior to going to graduate school, I worked on um, several campaigns uh, in 2004 and 2006, um, and actually worked for a party organization uh, during that time. And so the book kind of, kind of emanates from that experience in some ways, uh, that, that experience prior to, to entering academia. Yeah, super. And congratulations on, on, on your news and, and the book as well. The book is, well, is so you. interesting. Um, Great to hear it. Your focus here is on the role parties play in uh, in primaries. And before we even get to all the work that you've done, I wonder if you could just sort of take us back and, and talk just a little bit about where primaries come from exactly. Uh, it is the context in which the book takes place. Um, they haven't always been the way that con- candidates get chosen. So how far back do we have to look to find their start? Um, primaries began in the early 1900s. Um, uh, they originate actually in, in, a, in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. Uh, it was the first known place to, to, to have primaries. In the late 1800s, they instituted a, a primary system to, to nominate uh, candidates for county office. So the, the county parties instituted that. Um, and the progressives in the late 1800s and the early 1900s really took them as a rallying point to um, eradicate uh, what they perceived as you know, party boss influence or, or interest group influence in, in, the, in the nomination process. They were concerned about, um, uh, concerned about uh, representatives being beholden to, to interests or to party bosses rather than to, to voters. And so progressives put forward primary elections as a way to take the nomination process out of the hands of party elites and party leaders and, 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 and turn it over to, to, to party voters. Um, there's been some great work by by Alan Ware um, looking at that, and 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 there's some debate as to whether that uh, was actually the reason that they were implemented. But that was always the motivation. Um, that was always the explanation given in terms of why par- uh, primary elections should be implemented was that they were going to kind of reduce the reduce the role of of, of party leaders and and really turn uh, nominations and representation over to voters, and that you know representatives would be more concerned with what voters thought rather than what party leaders thought. Yeah, and your book is very much uh, sort of 100 years later. Uh, where are we in, in that effort to, to do exactly that? And your, your book also fits into 
this well-known scholarship connected to the Party Decides book and all of the other projects and, and articles related to it. Uh, in, in thinking about your, your intent of the book, was, was your intent to challenge the findings of that work or to build upon those findings or something else, really? So, you know, help us connect this to, to what others have been working on. Yeah, so so the so the party decides views um, uh, parties as a as an extended network of, of individuals. Um, I the the work that I that I use is is not. Um, I don't think that I think that my work builds upon that. I don't think it challenges um, what they find, but I think that it tries to apply uh, the role of the party to a uh, to a much larger set of cases and to see what and what what's the influence in, of, of party. Right beyond the presidential election, the, the party size really focuses only on uh, the the presidential nomination process, um, and I I, I mean I I think I, I think that my view of parties is, is slightly different than 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 theirs. They view the party as right this kind of informal network that that collaborates and and um, and communicates you know with each other and, and tries to coordinate on a particular candidate. Now, I, I think that I view, I, I, I think that, that their that their view of that is correct, but I view party organizations perhaps as a center, uh, kind of a, a coordinating mechanism of those larger groups. And so my work looks at the kind of the role of, of party organizations as coordinators of this larger network in support of a particular candidate. Um, and so I, I look at how does the party network coordinate um, uh, how does the party organization coordinate donors and coordinate staffers and coordinate all the other sort of resources that a campaign needs to needs to have in order to be successful in the primary? And, and then what is the effect of that support that a, that a party organization may be able to give informally? So you mentioned earlier that, that you had uh, dabbled with party organizations in the past. So what do parties actually care most about when when backing a candidate at this this phase? And and what do they do or what can they do once a preferred candidate is identified? Yeah. So let's take the second question first. What, what, are, what are parties able to do? Um, what sort of resources can they bring to bear? So for, for the book, I, I, um, I interviewed a, a number of party, le- uh, party leaders, party elites, uh, major donors, uh, former candidates, campaign staffers, um, a large number of people. And this is one of the questions that I asked them, right? What sort of resources do parties have that might, might be able to uh, be useful uh, to a candidate who's seeking the nomination, um, and and I, there were you know three there were there were they mentioned a whole you know litany of, of items, but there were there were three or four that that were repeated across party and across region. Um, things they mentioned are kind of the obvious things like money, right? The party coordinates donors, um, right? Within the, that party network, there are a lot of individuals who are interested and willing to to give money to a preferred to a to a candidate. Right outside that network, it's harder to find. Um, and, and, and party staff um, there within the party network, there are a lot of individuals who know how to run good campaigns, um, right? Know how to organize volunteers, um, right? Uh, put together media campaigns um, and a variety of other things. Um, and so the party can coordinate, right? Sending good staffers to candidates who need that. And there's actually a, a story in the book about uh, one individual who mentioned a particular candidate, um, this is a former party staffer, national party staffer, and that candidate came to the national party and said, "Look, I'm looking for a, a someone who can be my press secretary to to run this campaign." Um, and the party really didn't want this guy to win, and so 
um, they sent they intentionally sent him the worst possible press secretary <laughs> to to try to derail that campaign, and, and because they were afraid if that if that candidate won, they would then lose the the general election. And so, right, there's there's a, an ability to to kind of funnel good good staff um, to a to a particular candidate, or alternatively try, to try to derail that candidate by by you know, discouraging people from working for that candidate, or alternatively, right, sending someone who might uh, might be detrimental to the campaign. Um, so it's money, it's, it's campaign staff, um, it's, it's contacts with media that are useful. And so there are a variety of resources really that are, that are helpful to a candidate to try to get, to, to get that candidate off the ground. And, and what about the first? So, so given that they've got this uh, uh, set of resources that they have available, they don't give it out to anyone who knocks on the door. Um, uh, what do parties care most about uh, when deciding who's going to get the the, the A-list uh, press secretary and, and who's going to get the uh, some, so less than A-list, yeah. the, uh, the, the D-list uh, press secretary. So how do they determine viability? Well, so, so, so they are looking, they're, they're primarily interested in, in, um, in, in general election viability, or at least that's what they would always say that they were interested in. Um, I don't think it's entirely just general election viability that, that they're interested in. There are a variety of other things that, that drive what kind of motivates them to, to support a particular candidate. Um, part of it is, is about, right, if, when you're coordinating large numbers of individuals, right, w- like you are in, a, in, a, in an extended party network, um, right, coordination is difficult and, and it's easiest to do when there's some sort of focal point or some sort of salient individual within the network. And party leaders and, and others I did, you know, recognize that coordinating behind a particular candidate was easiest when there was, when that person was someone salient within the network, someone who had you know, extensive connections to, to, to other people in the party or um, who held a prominent position or, or some other kind of salient individual. Um, so, so, so part of it is, is just right, trying to coordinate. Coordination is difficult. And so you, you coordinate on, a, on, a, on an individual who's, who's salient within that network. Um, and they also talked, uh, these interview, in these interviews, people talked about you know, trying to discourage uh, particular candidates from running not necessarily because that candidate was going to be a bad candidate, but because they needed that candidate to run in another district or another for another seat, because without that person running, they might not win that seat, right? Parties are really interested in right, not just winning one seat, but winning a, a, a whole bunch of seats so that they can influence and, and, and you know, extract the policies that they want. And so um, you know, there were stories of, of, uh, you know, of uh, Brian Doobie in, in, in Vermont being discouraged from running for Senate because they wanted, wanted him to run for lieutenant governor or, um, or David Minge in, in, in Minnesota being discouraged from running for Senate because they wanted, because Dick Gephardt specifically wanted him to run for the House of Representatives um, because they were afraid that if, 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 if uh, a representative Minge didn't run for re-election, they were going to lose that seat. And so right there, it's, it's not necessarily just about candidate viability, but it's also about right, coordination um, and, and spreading out good candidates across races to try to, to, try to kind of win majorities um, in order to be able to get the policies that they want. Now, much of the book deals with the problem of causality uh, between this coordination between parties and mm-hmm. candidates. Yeah. I wonder if you talk a little bit about why this is a uh, causal difficulty for researchers and how you specifically aim to address this problem. Yeah, so this is, so the, the, the alternative hypothesis here is that parties really aren't um, uh, influencing the process, that they're merely just kind of jumping on the bandwagon of candidates who are going to win the primary election anyway, right? They, they, they survey the field. They say, ah, this one's going to win. This is the person that we're going to support. Um, and 
lo and behold, that individual wins, right? So it, it, we see this like, coordinate uh, this correlation between right, a, a particular candidate winning and a, a party supporting that candidate. But in, in that case, right, it really wouldn't be party support that's causing a candidate to win. They'd just be you know, very good pro- prognosticators, very very good at identifying those individuals who are who are likely to win. Uh, and so that's that's the problem. Right? If we're going to claim that parties are influential, we have to show that, that it's really not parties jumping on the bandwagon of of already viable candidates. Um, and and this is a this is a you know, this is a difficult thing for research in this area because I mean obviously a lot of times the candidates that the party is going to support are going to be the best candidates. Are I mean they're not going to you know intentionally pick a candidate who they think is going to lose the general election or is going to lose. Um, and and that's the difficult part, right? How, how do you how do you distinguish right? How much of this is the party identifying a a, a good candidate and thereby just you know that candidate's going to win anyway? And 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 how do you how much is this is right? The party identifying a candidate and then the party's resources help that candidate get over the top. Um, to, to to try to address this, right, this is not an easy. Uh, problem to solve. Um, I, I try to I, I look at this in, from two different directions. One, right, through actual interviews and talking to these people about you know, what the mechanism is, right? How do they coordinate on on donors and and what do they do? Um, and then just and, and then trying to 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 support that that evidence for the, that qualitative evidence through some actual quantitative evidence where I look at um, the temporal precedent of. Um, of a, a measure of candidate viability and a measure of, of party support, right? So for um, for candidate viability, um, you know, it would be nice to have uh, polling data for every single congressional election, primary election, right? But that's that's not possible. So, well, what we can use is fundraising instead. Um, we can look at a, you know, a quarterly measure of fundraising that a, that a candidate receives, um, and then we to, to measure party support, right? This is the other difficult thing. It's it's right, what parties do is not all not not always. Um, you know, front and center on, on the front pages of the paper. It's often done uh, done in kind of a clandestine manner, where it's, you know, kind of behind closed doors and um, you know, talking to each other, these informal conversations, but nothing necessarily on record. Um, and so, right, I, in, in in the book, I, I pioneer a measure of party support that uses a um, a measure of shared donors between a candidate and. Uh, the national party organization. So in the case of the Senate, that's the National Republican Senatorial Committee and the, the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee, right? The, the party hill organizations. And if we look at um, the, the, the temporal precedent of these two variables of, of candidate fundraising in the primary and the number of shared donors, this part, the measure of party support, what we see is that uh, whereas um, uh, party support predicts Future fundraising, we don't see um, uh, party. Su- uh, we don't see candidate fundraising predicting party support, um, and this is also true if we look just at a subset of of candidates um, who are running against an opponent who had a similar level of, of previous political experience. So they were, you know, experienced political candidates and not, you know, just. Uh, um, just no, no, no name candidates, and so so this right, this gives us some kind of some hint, hint here that right the parties aren't necessarily just jumping on a candidate who's uh, who's the most viable candidate, um, but rather it's their decision that then increases uh, the ability of the candidate to fundraise and, and to do well. Now, does this finding hold for both parties? Uh, are both parties approaching this coordination in a similar way? Can Democrats and Republicans uh, get their candidate? In, in in the same fashion, or did you find some some differences across the parties? 
So, so they were they they in the interviews they they people often they often reference their perceptions of differences between the parties, um, but that was mostly I mean, it was not necessarily in right the ability of the party to to do so, but it was mostly mostly in the kind of the process by which parties uh, went about uh, trying to clear the field. Where whereas um, in, in the Republican Party, they they talked a lot more about how it was a little bit more of a hierarchical structure. Um, whereas on the Democratic Party, some of the interviews suggested right that it was a little bit more dis- uh, kind of distributed. But really, on both sides, the party organization is effectively able to to try to clear the field for a, a preferred candidate. Um, and, and, you know, and this is the interesting thing. So, so not only are they able to help a particular candidate win, they're also able to discourage candidates from from running. Um, that you see that the candidates without party support are about. 50% more likely to drop out over the course of the primary election than a candidate that has party support. And so it's not only just about helping a particular candidate win, but it's also about right, getting uh, particular candidates out of the race. And, and both parties are really effective at, at, at doing that, that about you know, trying to clear the field for a particular candidate that they want to, 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 to have receive the nomination. Now, one of the themes that runs through the book and is particularly important now is whether... Um, I guess maybe this is the working hypothesis that many people would have, that this this basically functions to get uh, moderate candidates within the party uh, uh, to be to be the candidates, uh, thinking that they would be the most viable in general elections. Um, what if you talk a little bit about that aspect of what you did and and whether that uh, push towards moderation, uh, moderate candidates is is really what we see play out or is or is something different happening? Yeah, so so Ray LaRaja and, and Brian Schaffner have a wonderful book that came out a couple of years ago looking at uh, uh, the effect of strengthening party organizations. Um, and there's a, there's a number of people who are uh, you know, looking at that. If we strengthen party organizations and, and the campaign finance rules surrounding parties, do we end up with more moderate candidates? Um, and, and their theory and the evidence that they provide shows that yes. Um, and the, the theoretical... Uh, motivation behind that is that that party organizations are are less ideological than you know the club for growth or um, Emily's List or some other kind of ideological organization that that you know is a, is loosely affiliated with the party but is really involved because they have you know, some sort of policy that they want to demand the policy that they want out of the out of the process um, and so they, they they right they theorize that that right the party leaders the people in party organizations are much more uh, pragmatic that they're more interested in winning um, elections and controlling office, kind of kind of a Downsian view of of political parties, rather than being, you know, explicitly um, um, uh, ideological. That they, they, they they're they're more of a of a pragmatist um, uh, a, a group of of individuals that that you find within the party. Um, and what I do in the, in the book is actually look at and, and test this. So, so we, you can, using uh, Adam Bonica's uh, DIME database, we can actually get uh, information on the ideological placement of, um, of individuals who are running in the primary. Um, and you know, combining this with um, the, 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 this measure of party support, we can look at right, what's the average ideological position of a, of a party-supported candidate Compared to a a, a, part, a candidate without party support, um, and I and I compare this, and, and you know, unsurprisingly, you do see that 
um, parties do prefer more moderate candidates. Um, that they, they do have this preference for a candidate who is is uh, you know less ideologically extreme um, relative to the you know and, and of the options that are available the party generally picks the, the more moderate option supports the more moderate option however the, the the interesting thing is that this doesn't necessarily appear to be strategic um, this really is more of a sincere preference um, that uh, they are, are picking moderate candidates they're preferring moderate candidates in uh, races that are uncompetitive, right? Either races that are completely safe or races that are um, uh, unwinnable. And so they're, they're, it's in these ra- these districts and, and Senate seats, that, uh, Senate primaries, that they're preferring a more moderate candidate. Um, and, and this suggests uh, to me that this is, that this is uh, you know, a, a sincere preference. And so, right, this idea that uh, parties are somehow pragmatic doesn't necessarily seem to, to, to line up with the evidence that, that I find, which, which suggests, right, really that, that party organizations are a, a vehicle that can be captured. And, and you know, in the, in the past you know, 20 years, you've seen at the state party, at the state party level um, a number of instances where you know, party organizations have been tank, taken over by you know, ideological groups. Um, uh, in, in, in Minnesota in 1994, I think it was Alan, Alan Quist uh, right, was, was nominated uh, by the party um, over, uh, it was endorsed by uh, by the party organization um, uh, in their endorsement process over the the, the current incumbent uh, Republican governor. Um, and so, right, in this in, in this case, it was a very clear takeover by an ideological group within the party of that party organization. And I think that you may see something very similar here, um, as as uh, you know, people close to, to Donald Trump, for example, uh, we come into positions of power. You see a shift rightward um, in the the preference of of uh, party candidates, ideological location of party candidates after 2012, for instance, right uh, after 2010, excuse me, in 2012, right after the a bunch of, of Tea Party Republicans get into office and then start. You know, intermingling with with party leadership and and being on the the, the NRCC and other kind of uh, organizations that are designed to help candidates. So I, I think that really the, the evidence suggests that this preference for moderate candidates is not necessarily uh, strategic uh, or as a result of of the pragmatism of of individuals in in um, in these uh, party organizations, but rather kind of the true ideological preferences of the current faction within the party that 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 controls. Uh, that organization. Yeah, this this uh, very interesting book, um, the party's primary control of congressional nominations, with its very interesting book cover. Uh, <laughs> I love the book cover, uh, which we had a lot. I had a lot of fun with that one. <laughs> uh, which anyone listening can can go and and see and, and buy a copy of the book and and go read the book. Uh, at the Cambridge University Press website and and elsewhere. Hans, thank you so much for your time today. Keith, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for for having me on and, and, and chatting with me.